podcast of the Lead Centre Vedante Studies. Key moments in the Commedia, number 7. Paradiso 15, 25-30. I'm Claire Honus, and in this podcast I'm going to be talking about six lines of text taken from the central episode of the Paradiso, in which Dante Pilgrim meets the soul of his great-great-grandfather Cacciaguida. We know nothing about Cacciaguida from historical records except for the fact that he really did exist. However, Dante invents a whole history for him, telling us how he followed the Emperor Conrad III on the Second Crusade, how in the Holy Land he was knighted by the Emperor himself, and how he was killed in battle there in about 1147. As one of the martyred souls who died for the faith, therefore, he appears to the pilgrim in the heaven of Mars. In the lines immediately preceding the ones which I'm about to read, we're told how one soul, one point of brilliant heavenly light, leaves its place in the great cross of light which the souls form in this sphere and descends like a shooting star to where the pilgrim and Beatrice are waiting. I'll read the next lines, lines 25 to 30, in Italian and then in Robert and Jean Hollander's English translation. Si pia l'ombra d'anchisse si porse, se fede merta nostra maggior musa, quando in eliso del figlio s'accorse. O sanguis meus, o superinfusa grazia dei, Sicut tibi cui bis unquam celi annua reclusa. With such affection did Anchises shade reach out, if our greatest muse is owed belief, when in Elysium he knew his son. O sanguis meus, o superinfusa grazia dei, sicut tibi cui bis unquam celi annua reclusa. Notice that the second of the two tetsinas which I read is not in Italian but in Latin and that it is therefore deliberately not translated, since it needs to stand out as being different from the language in which the rest of the text is written. The meaning of the lines, however, is as follows. O blood of mine, O grace of God poured down from above, to whom, as to you, have the gates of heaven ever been opened twice? In these lines, then, Dante the poet compares the enthusiasm with which his ancestor greets the pilgrim in the heaven of Mars, to the joy with which Anchises moved to greet his son Aeneas, who, as we know, visits the afterlife in Book Six of the Aeneid, and is reunited there in the Elysian fields with his beloved father. This comparison brings back into Dante's text, albeit indirectly, a character whom we thought we'd said farewell to some eighteen cantos previously. In Purgatorio 30, Dante the Pilgrim had bid a tearful farewell to his dolcissimo patre, with two quotations, one direct and one translated into Italian, both taken from that same Book Six of the Aeneid, which he refers to here. The significance of Virgil's role in Dante's text is emphasised there by the way in which these references to the Aeneid are interwoven with quotations from the Old and New Testaments. But at the same time, Virgil's role is undermined as he's removed unceremoniously from the scene. The pilgrim turns to repeat to him the words which he had had Aeneas speak about Dido, I recognise the signs of the ancient flame. But Virgil has gone, his function in the text exhausted. It's a surprise to the reader, then, that directly beneath the sign of the cross, the symbol of what it is that divides Virgil from the possibility of salvation, Virgil should return as Nostra Maggior Musa, our greatest muse. And yet, on a number of levels, this comparison is is a particularly appropriate one. In the first place, although Cacciaguide is not Dante's father but his great-great-grandfather, he does function in this episode somewhat in loco parentis. 
Indeed, he refers to the pilgrim on a number of occasions as filio, while the pilgrim tells Cacciaguida quite explicitly at the start of the next canto, Voi siete il padre mio, you are my father. Moreover, just as in the Elysian fields, Aeneas receives from Anchises confirmation of his destiny and mission to found the city of Rome, so too does Dante in this episode receive news of his own future from Cacciaguida. Indeed, in Canto 17, Cacciaguida outlines both Dante's political destiny to be exiled from Florence and his poetic mission to write the Commedia. But this is not all. As we've seen, the first words that Cacciaguida speaks to the pilgrim are not in Italian but in Latin, the language of Virgil. This is highly unusual. Dante does use Latin in the Commedia, but generally he uses it only in quotations like those I referred to a moment ago in Canto 30 of Purgatorio from the Aeneid and the Bible, or in the prayers and hymns that we find quoted throughout the Purgatorio, for example. Cacciaguida is in fact the only character in the Commedia to address the pilgrim in Latin, and this choice of language seems to be linked both with the preceding Tetzina's reference to Virgil and with the substance of the question that Cacciaguida actually asks here. Cacciaguida's words in Latin address the pilgrim directly, as both a member of the speaker's own family, sanguis meus, my own flesh and blood, and as someone particularly privileged by God, someone who's received an abundance of divine grace, superinfusa gratia Dei. And he asks, to who else, as to Dante the pilgrim, has heaven's gate ever been opened twice? That is, who else, like the pilgrim, has ever been allowed to visit heaven as a living human being? The question's a rhetorical one, and we don't need Cacciaguida to answer it for us, because in fact Dante the Pilgrim himself has already done so right at the beginning of his journey, when, full of fear at the thought of the journey that lies ahead, he exclaims, Io non Enea, io non Paolo sono, I'm not Aeneas, I'm not St Paul. Aeneas and Paul, the Aeneid and the Bible. Just as in Purgatorio 30, in fact, the Latin of Virgil is put side by side in Cacciaguida's question with the Latin of the Vulgate, the language in which Dante would have known the Bible. And here too, as in Purgatorio 30, the comparison shows up the insufficiencies of Virgil in this holy Christian realm. Cacciaguida's first words, sanguis meus, are the same words used by Anchises in the episode in Aeneid 6 to indicate his own descendant Caesar, therefore confirming the poet's debt to the Aeneid and to Virgil. At the same time, however, to a Christian reader, they cannot help but recall also Christ's words at the Last Supper, this is my blood. It is Dante's membership of the Christian Church, symbolised here by the Eucharist, that enables him to benefit from the superinfusa gratia Dei and to visit this true Christian paradise, not just the Elysian fields, which, as the episode of Limbo has shown, can only ever be a poor and hopeless pagan imitation of heaven. As in so many other episodes of the Commedia, therefore, we see Dante both drawing on his Virgilian model and exceeding it. But what of the other model alluded to here? How does Dante's account of his visit to heaven while still a living man relate to that of St Paul? The answer to this question is far from simple. A long-standing medieval tradition read St Paul's account in his second letter to the church at Corinth about a man who had been taken up into the third heaven, as referring to Paul himself, and many reworkings and elaborations of this legend existed by the time of Dante. The comparison is not then surprising, 
But what is surprising, in view of the poetic mission which Cacciaguida will pass on to his descendant in Canto 17, is the reluctance to speak of his heavenly adventure that emerges from Paul's letter. Indeed, we're told that to speak of the visit to heaven is not only impossible, it's expressly forbidden. Paul writes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up right into the third heaven. This same person was caught up into paradise and heard things which must not and cannot be put into human language. This recalls what Dante the poet tells us about his own experience right at the start of the Paradiso, that he saw things in heaven which are impossible to put into words. Vidi cose che ridire ne sa ne può chi dirà su discende. But there's an important difference here. Dante's focus is on the utter impossibility of describing his experience of heaven. As every student of Italian knows, sapere means to know how to do something, whereas potere means to have the capacity to do something. Dante lacks both the intellectual knowledge and the skill to put heaven into words. But far from going hand in hand with a ban on even trying to do so, this incapacity is rendered all the more significant, indeed it becomes one of the main themes of the Paradiso, because Dante, unlike Paul, is told that he must speak of his experiences. In Canto 17, Cacciaguida will tell him to make clear in his poem everything that he's witnessed on his journey. Tutta tua vision fa manifesta. The corruption of Dante's Florence forms the principal theme of most of the rest of Canto 15, the whole of Canto 16 and much of Canto 17. It's a corruption which, as we saw in the episode of Brunetto Latini, can be traced to a large extent to a failure to live up to the city's Roman heritage. A failure, then, to insert Florence into the plan of history, which Anchises, in Elysium, begins to outline to his son. And, as every reader of the Commedia knows, it's a corruption which extends far beyond Florence to every part of the Italian peninsula and beyond, which infects papacy and empire, and which leaves individual human beings without the guidance that they need on earth in order to live a good life. Oblique hints, as in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, are no longer appropriate. If Dante is to fulfil the destiny which his ancestor here maps out for him, he must tell the whole truth, however challenging that may be, drawing on all possible literary models from Virgil to the Bible, and using all the linguistic resources he can muster. Only then will he truly be both a second Aeneas and a second Paul. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Leeds Centre for Dante Studies. If you'd like to find out more about the centre and its activities, please visit www.leeds.ac.uk 